0: feel like your family relationships are, I don't know, complicated? (laughs) Like maybe sometimes people don't show up where they should be and do what they should be doing. Sometimes you have disagreements or, I don't know, in our family, a family of seven, I I sometimes feel that way. Then when you add my brother and his family and you've got parents and and family life can be complicated e- even in a pastor's home i mean husband even and wife can have we like to call it heated fellowship <laughs> did you know that even jesus could understand the complications of family business he gets you that's what we've been talking about for these last few weeks As we stand near the cross, He gets you. He understands the kinds of things that you feel. He gets you. Today we're going to talk about that idea that He gets the complications of family business. But before we get to that, let's take a minute and review. We're looking at these last words of Jesus from the cross. The first thing He said as He looked around at the crowd, He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And when we heard those words, we learned that Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt. You felt hurt, physical hurt, emotional hurt, relational hurt, even spiritual hurt. And Jesus understands that. He gets your pain. But according to Jesus, the pathway from relief of a lot of pain is forgiveness. And so He taught us to forgive. The second words that Jesus said were to a criminal on the cross. He said, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. The, the first word was a word of forgiveness. And in a sense, this is a word of forgiveness too. But it's also a word of promise, of certainty, of confidence, of assurance. And, and Jesus is teaching us that he loves us just like he loved the criminal on the cross. And what he said on, what he did on that day He he says and He does for us. He gives us promise. Promise of a future and promise of a hope. And when you hear these statements, you you recognize that even on the cross, Jesus was focused on others. He was thinking about those around Him. And that too is a lesson for us. The third word is a very personal word. It, It could be dubbed a word of compassion. Because these other two words could be relevant for everybody, but these words were relevant to two particular people who were near the cross. Though I would suggest we're all somewhere in this picture, somewhere around or perhaps far from the cross. We each find ourselves in this story and and part of the benefit of this story is to see where God might speak to us even in this setting. But on that day, Jesus had his mind on others. Think about that. If ever there was a time for a pity party, if ever there was a time where it was okay to sing, woe is me, it's at your deathbed, in those last moments of life, but not Jesus. When he was on the cross, others were on his mind. Or as that old gospel song says, when he was on the cross... I was on His mind. You were on His mind. And that should be worthy of celebration. Remember the context as we look at John chapter 19. Jesus has been beaten after having been betrayed. He was tried, though it was a circus, and then He was flogged and beaten some more. He was mocked. He was tortured And then he was hung on the cross. All that has happened when we tune in to John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Some of your translations say they took his tunic. That's going to be important, so remember that. So they said, rather than tearing apart, let's throw dice for it. This is fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her, that's Mary, into his home. And in these few words of Jesus, we find something that's at the heart of our Christian faith, really at the heart of the gospel itself. It expresses a duty, a family duty that every member of the family of God has. And it's really the one thing I want you to get today. Here it is. The love of God can be expressed in tangible ways. And as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to express that love. So we talk about it often, what it means to follow after God And and all around the world people would say, if you're going to follow after God, you love others. After all, that's the words of Jesus. They came to him. 13,000 plus laws had been established out of the 10 from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And so they thought they would trick Jesus one day. And they said, what's the most important of the commands? And Jesus didn't stammer or stutter. He said, that's an easy one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the early church would take this on. And those who followed after Christ have been known for their love if they were known for good things. So the Apostle Paul would teach us, and I read this week devotionally in the book of Galatians, that if we really fulfill that royal law, he's referring back to the words of Jesus, we will love others just as we love ourselves, And so it's easy to say, love others, but sometimes we forget that you can see, you can touch, you can feel the love of others. You know if someone is being loving. Loving is more than just an expression of words, isn't it? Love can be expressed in tangible ways. And that is something, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that you should be doing in your little corner of the world. Peggy Noonan a great speechwriter for President Ronald Reagan, tells the story of Frances Green. Frances Green, an 83-year-old lady who lived on nothing but Social Security, and yet for many years she had sent $1 a year into the Republican National Committee as a donation. After doing this for many years, one day she received an invitation in the mail. It was an invitation to the White House, or at least so she presumed. It was on nice paper. It was personally inscribed. Frances got so excited, she was ready to go to the White House, and she forgot to notice a small detail. With that letter was an RSVP card, and with the RSVP card was a small print that said, please return this with your generous donation to receive an invitation to the White House. All that aside, Frances scraped up every penny she had. She bought a train ticket. That's the only way she could travel. She couldn't afford a sleeper car, so for three or four days she rode in coach class and slept upright, headed to the White House. And on the day of her invitation, she took her invitation, she put on her nicest white dress and her white stockings and her white hat, and she went to the guard gate there at the White House, only to be told by the guard, Sorry, ma'am. This isn't an official invitation, and you're not on the list to come in today. It just so happened that one of the high executives of the Ford Motor Company was in line right behind her. He heard the whole exchange. So when the guard was finished, he turned to Miss Francis and he said, Ma'am, I think there's been some confusion. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to help straighten this out. Meet me here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and we're going to get you that visit to the White House that you were promised. She agreed and they both went on their way. He went into the White House where he made contact with Ann Higgins, a presidential aide. And he asked her to arrange for a special visit with President Reagan the next day. Neither of them had any idea what the next day would hold. It ended up being the day that White House Chief of Staff Ed Meese resigned <laughs> It was also a day in which there were multiple worldwide conflicts. There were several high-level secret sessions taking place. And yet that executive managed to get that private tour for Francis Green of the White House, and he quietly led her to the Oval Office. He knew what was taking place, so he hoped that maybe just... President Reagan could wave to her as people came out of the office. But they stood there as the National Security Council, other generals of the military began to leave. And then President Reagan caught Francis' eye. And he stood up from behind the desk in the Oval Office and he said, Francis, come on in. Those dang computers, they're always messing stuff up. And he sat her down there in the Oval Office and they began to talk about her small town in California, about her life, about her family. And the President of the United States made Francis Green feel like a million bucks. Most people would look at that and think it was a waste of time. But not President Reagan. He knew that this woman had nothing to give him, but she needed something that he could give her kindness, and compassion. And so that's what he gave her. What a great story, but, but what a greater lesson. There are people in our little corner of the world that need the same thing. A little kindness, a little compassion, a tangible expression of the love of God And so that's why it's important to know that the love of God can be expressed in tangible ways. And as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to express that love. So think about what had happened. Jesus was bruised, beaten, battered, and betrayed. He was reviled, ridiculed, and rejected. He was derided, deserted, and detested. And there near the cross, near the cross... Watching it all was his mama, Mary. A parent should never experience, much less watch, the death of their child. Some would say that's the most unnatural thing in our human existence. And some of you have walked that deep grief. And I pray you've experienced the grace and compassion of the Lord. I pray that regularly for my brother. I never forget that early morning I was sitting by my friend Robert Holt on an airplane in South America returning from a mission trip and I I got a a call from my brother. As I answered the phone, I heard my big brother say, I think Josh is dead. Josh was my 24-year-old nephew. And my brother discovered him, passed away. On the morning of Josh's younger brother's wedding rehearsal dinner. In moments like that, you have no words. All you have is compassion. All you have is, is prayer. So there's Mary watching the worst of the worst, a mother's nightmare. But she knew it wasn't going to be easy, right? Ever ever since she was introduced to this idea, people had made fun of her. She had been shamed, an unplanned pregnancy. And then she gave birth as a homeless woman. Some of you grew up without much, didn't you? Maybe you still don't have much. He gets you. And then after the birth of Jesus, I mean, she was on the run. They were hiding, just trying to survive. They had to go to Egypt because the king was threatening to kill her son, But then there's this interaction at the temple where this old man named Simeon comes to her and it says, then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and he did and many others to rise and he did and and he's been sent as a sign from God and he was but many will oppose him and they did and as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and that's still taking place but then he said, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Can you imagine as the mother of a small child, hearing those words from someone you believe and respect, it was like the promise that your heart is going to break, you're going to be pierced at your your core like being stabbed with a knife. Think about what it must have been like for Mary. Mary. All the things going through her mind. Reliving it all. Max Lucado in the book God Came Near gives us 25 questions he would love to ask Mary. I'm not going to read them all, but just listen to some of these. What was it like, Mary, watching Jesus pray? Hey, Mary, when Jesus saw a rainbow, did he ever mention the flood? When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter... Did he he act differently? Did you ever see Jesus look at a distance, kind of with a blank stare, as if he was listening to someone you could not hear? Hey, Mary, how did Jesus act at funerals? (laughs) Did he do well in school? Did you ever have to scold him? Did he get along with his brothers? When someone referred to Satan, how did he act? Hey Mary, did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? (laughs) Well, what it must have been like to be Mary. But there she was on that day, near the cross, watching Her son died. Erwin Lutzer says it well when, when he says, wonderful mother that she was, she nevertheless took her place with the other sinners at the foot of the cross. And that's a reminder to all of us. No matter what tradition you came from and what esteem you may have placed on Mary, she was a sinner in need of a Savior. You see, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's good news. That means whether you're a preacher or or whether you've accomplished some of the worst things you could imagine, you're in the same need of God's grace and salvation. Aren't you thankful that the ground is level at the foot of the cross? Aren't you thankful for God's grace? So then... In that context, we have Jesus looking at Mary, uttering these words. Look at verse 26 again. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. Why was he doing this? I think there's something to learn here. The words of Jesus illustrate his devotion to family. And as Jesus was devoted to his family, we learn if we're going to be Christ-like, we must develop devotion to family. Why then, why would Jesus say what he said when he said it? To understand this, you've got to look back to what had just happened, and Chuck Swindoll points this out. He says it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus utters these words right after the section where we hear that the soldiers are gambling over the tunic, the robe, the undergarments of Jesus. That tunic that you have described there, in those verses, it had special meaning. Tradition holds that the tunic was generally given to a man by his mother, a special gift. This particular tradition suggests that this tunic of Jesus was given by Mary to Jesus when he left to begin his ministry. So I know in the pictures that we have, we we think of Jesus having cloth around him on the cross. That would not have been the case. The Romans, remember, they crucified about 30,000 individuals a year. Not Roman citizens. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. These were the Jews and other slaves. And they would strip them naked to shame them one more time. And so as Jesus is hanging there, Perhaps he sees the guards gambling over that special piece of clothing. He looks and he sees his mother weeping as she watches her son die. And he says, Mama, (laughs) it's going to be okay. John's going to take care of you. Arthur Pink says, engaged as he was in a divine transaction, making atonement for the sins of all people, grappling with the powers of darkness, yet amid it all, he still has the same human tenderness, which shows the perfection of the man of Jesus Christ. He shows love to his mama. So what is that teaching us? Is it obedience? Sure, Right? The Ten Commandments, we've heard the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your father and your mother. Then you will live a long life in the land of the Lord your God has given you. It's the first commandment that we have with a promise. This is an important thing. In fact, as the church begins to establish, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that we still are under this command. In Ephesians 6, 1, he says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. This was not less than a lesson in obedience. And for some of you, it just got hard. Because that's not been a good relationship. For some of you, your parents have long gone, and it was not good relationships. And you're wrestling through these emotions. Some of you still dealing with this or wrestling through, what do I do? Others of you did well. And you're encouraged in this moment. I guess I would just, before we move on, remind you there is a principle here, and the principle is it's always right to do right. So whether it's easy or whether, as is often the case, it's challenging. These family relationships are vitally important. It's always right to honor your parents. So how does that look? We could spend a lot of time here. Let me just give you two things. Number one, you want to make sure they know your desire to honor them. Make sure they know your desire to express your love. Secondly, you you want to try to help meet their needs. All of this is expressed in the words of Jesus as he looks out at Mary. He says, Mama, oh dear woman, it's going to be okay. John's going to take care of you it was not less and less in obedience but it was so much more it was also about devotion Because the love of God can be expressed in tangible ways. And as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to express that love. So we have family responsibilities that we have to exercise. So just a time out. Do those in your little corner of the world, beginning with your parents if they're still alive. Do those around you that are part of your family, do they know that the love of God is in you And that love of God extends to them. And if I were hearing these words, one thing I would be asking is, what are some practical ways I need to express that love even today? And for some of you, it begins just by telling them you love them. Is it an interesting, even an adult child wants to hear that their parents love them. And I realize some of you grew up and you were never told that. Change the cycle. Change the trend. The words of Jesus illustrate a devotion to family, but there's much more. The words of Jesus also issue a demand for us to be faithful. See, Jesus was giving a gift to Mary, his mother, but he was also giving a gift to John, his friend, His beloved friend. And it helps us see something about Jesus' family. So why did Jesus turn to John, one of his disciples, to care for his mother? Where was Joseph? History records that Joseph had passed away some years early. So guess what? At least for a portion of his life, Jesus grew up with a single mom. Yeah, he gets you. But did you know that Mary and Joseph had other children? Jesus had brothers. We even know their names. In Matthew 13 and verse 55, it says they scoff. He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Where were the brothers? They weren't even there for His public execution. Why? Well, we know why. John 7, 5 says, For even His brothers didn't believe in Him. They had rejected that He was the Messiah. They didn't believe Him. So why would they be there? This was His own doing. Do you have family members that have not yet followed Christ? Parents? Siblings, children, He gets you. If you have family members who have not yet followed Christ, but you're praying for them, would you raise your hand right now, wherever you are? The room is full. Let's pause and pray for those family members right now. In the name of Jesus, Father, we pray for moms and dads, for brothers and sisters, for children, sons and daughters. We pray for nephews and nieces. We pray for grandparents who don't yet know you. And we ask that you do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, would you draw them to you? Would you put people in their path that would lead them in the truth of the gospel. God, would you bring them into a saving relationship with you? And would you do this in the name of Jesus? We speak Jesus over our family. And Lord, in this moment, I also feel led to just pray for prodigals, those who've heard the truth and even expressed the truth. But Lord, they've gone away. Just like your story of the son who returns home, would you bring them back to you, Lord? And would you do this in the name of Jesus? And would you do this for your glory? And we say thank you for this expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so thankful for the power of prayer. The greatest thing you can do for those family members that don't yet know Christ is to love them and to pray for them. So because of Jesus' family situation, though, what did he do? He had to rely on his faith family. Did you know you have a faith family? Listen to what happened in Matthew 12 and verse 46. Jesus was speaking to the crowd. His mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. So imagine just today, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> you know that, and I know that. But just to help you get this picture in your mind, imagine that if my family were outside these doors, and there were ushers that had said, no, kind of the service is going on, you can't come in. But somebody got word, hey, your mom and your daddy and your brothers you are outside. What did Jesus do? Someone told Jesus, your mother and your your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus asked, who's my mama? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples. And he said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's true for you too if you're a child of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. In fact, in this very moment, as Jesus hung on the cross, he was accomplishing in his death the opportunity for you to be adopted into the family of God. And when you come into the family of God, your family expands. So some of you, when I asked that question, it was tough because there's a lot of folks in your family who aren't running after Jesus. But guess what? You've got a big old family that is. And we're here for one another. We're better together. The local expression of the family of God is your local church. And so you have responsibility to your church. This is a big deal. And we could spend our whole time just talking about this. And and this has, frankly, been challenged in our society because we went through this season where everything with wisdom was pushing us not to gather together. And for some, that became a part of their life that they've not yet changed. But we need each other. A few weeks ago, I, I saw Rick Warren write something that Again, we could elaborate on with a much longer amount of time, but, but let me just give you three reasons you need your church family. One is your church family helps you focus on God. When you prioritize the coming together as a church family, it helps you and your family say, this is important to us, and it lasers you in on the things of God. Secondly, your church family helps you face life's problems. Because we do have problems. That's why we come together. That's why in the New Testament church we're taught to not forsake coming together. And it goes on to say in Hebrews 10, because when you do, you stir one another up. You encourage one another. The goal is that you walk away encouraged. Not always walking away feeling good about how you're doing. Because sometimes we need a little checkup. But you're encouraged because you realize there's hope and there's help. By the way, that's why we encourage you in a church our size to make sure you're in a community group. If you're not, you're going to fall through the cracks because we're we're not huge, but we're big enough. You may slip out for a few weeks and then we don't recognize you're gone. And then you get your feelings hurt because you say, well, they didn't even know I wasn't there. And you got to get plugged in. That's why things like Celebrate Recovery are so important because you engage with a group that's walking through things that you're walking through. Thirdly, your church family helps you fortify your faith. You you grow in your understanding. How are you doing with that responsibility, by the way? Are, Are you living up to that responsibility to your faith family? Well, I'll let you linger on that, but let's get back to John. So here's John. He's, he's just watched Jesus turn to Mary and say, oh, mama, sweet lady, John's going to take care of you. <laughs> and then he turns to John and says, John, take care of my mama. She's your mama now. Can you imagine what he was thinking? Wow. None of us can. But we may have similar experiences. I do. It was September of 2019. In August, my dad had had a stroke, and three weeks later, he had a major brain bleed. He would never be the same, but in these moments, he was in ICU. We didn't know then that he would live about eight more months. We thought he could die at any moment. My brother was out of the country, my mom could not be there. And I, I never left his um, side, and most of the time was holding his hand and rubbing my daddy's head and just saying, I love you. I remember a moment where I'd kind of just step back from the bed, looking at him, maybe touching his shoulder, just saying, I love you, daddy. And he got alert for a second, (laughs) and he looked at me, and I was confident he was going to say, I love you too, son. And he had told me that many times. But not that day. He looked at me with a stern look, with his eyes wide open, with that marine voice, with that preacher prophetic tone. And he said, love your mama. And then he closed his eyes and turned his head. It's not Jesus to John, but it had a pretty big impact on my life. I knew on that day that for the rest of my life, there's a responsibility that I better take advantage of. And and by the way, we have. And that's not always easy, is it? When you add things into your life that weren't a part of your normal pattern. But it's always right to do right. John was accepting his responsibility. Tradition is that he literally left with Mary right after that moment. Now, why would he do that? Because she was now his responsibility, and he didn't want that mama to have to watch her son's last breaths. Tradition also has it that from then on, she lived in his house. They would eventually live in Ephesus. You can visit the place that tradition believes was the house of Mary. I've been there on several occasions. She lived there until she died. Probably about nine or ten more years. John lived up to his responsibility. My question for you is, are you living up to your responsibility? Are you making the difference that God wants you to make? You see, when you come near the cross, we die to our plans. We take up the calling that Christ has for us. If John had not stayed near the cross, he would have missed the honor of his life. Are you near enough the cross to forsake your plans and get in on what he's doing? Because John was near the cross, he, he got the privilege of caring for the mother of Jesus. What is God calling you to do? What's the calling? Who is he calling you to care for? Remember the brothers of Jesus? Good news. After the resurrection, (laughs) when when it was clear that Jesus was different, they all followed Christ. James, remember the name James? James became a pastor. He pastored the church at Jerusalem. And in James chapter 1 and verse 27, in the first chapter of James, we have in the Bible, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing, this is pure and undefiled religion. And I wonder if as he wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, if he began to cry as he remembered that now his good friend John had had to care for his mother. Because pure and undefiled religion he would write is to care for widows and orphans. What is God calling you to do? Where is he calling you to demonstrate your compassion Is it to minister to the the widows around you? They're all around us. Is it to care for the orphans? Do Do you know we have a crisis? Do you know that there are days where social workers keep children in their office because they don't have foster homes for them? No one has adopted them. Did you know there are single moms who are losing their minds because they're overwhelmed? (laughs) Our baby boy. Our last birth child is 18 and in two months he'll be a high school graduate. He and I sat on the college campus where he'll be attending in several months just talking yesterday. And it's, it's hard to think about that moment. But. I mean, think about that. Your fourth and last birth child. I mean, you know what should be on the horizon? Emptiness. Can I get a witness? But not for us. (laughs) Because about six years ago, we heard a calling. And while it's an act of love, there was no question it was a calling. And so now there's one who's no orphan. She's got a mom and a daddy and brothers, and she's nine years old, an empty nest. I can't even see it with the binoculars. But I'm going to tell you what, that nine-year-old, she's five minutes away from her grandma's apartment, and she can go see Mimi, and when I see them standing and loving each other together, they're quite a pair what? By the way, one of them can hardly walk and can't hear. The other one can't see. (laughs) But I think, yes, God, this is right. And it's always right to do right. Remember, we're responsible for others in the family of God. Because the love of God can be expressed in tangible ways. And as followers of Christ, it's our responsibility to express that love. So where are you? Near the cross? Maybe you're like the soldiers. You're gambling your life away in the shadow of the cross. And you need to be reminded once more that proximity and opportunity don't change your destiny. You have to act on that. Uh, Others of you, you're like the brothers of Jesus. And I, I love you with the love of God, but the greatest need in your life today is, is to turn to Jesus. You need to follow Him. Nothing in your life is going to make sense and come together until you follow Christ. And it's not religion. It's not just going through the motions. It's not joining a church. It's surrendering control of your life to Jesus, acknowledging your sin and asking Jesus to save you, recognizing that regardless of your background, the ground really is level at the foot of the cross. Others of you are like the disciples. All ten that I didn't mention. <laughs> John was there. Judas had hung himself. But ten were nowhere to be found. They had followed Christ. But that day they were at a guilty distance. And man, again with love. some of you That's some of you, isn't it? You're here. I mean, I'm not condemning you, but... You're just kind of at a guilty distance. I don't really want others around me to know that I'm struggling with this and where I am with the Lord. Others of you are like Mary. And the bottom line is you just need some compassion. And man, I pray that today you feel the love of God. Hear me say again and again, God loves you. And no matter what you're going through, His grace is sufficient for you. Jesus is enough for you. I speak Jesus over you. Feel the love of God today. Some of you are like John. God's been issuing a calling on your life, but you've yet to respond. I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe it's to foster. Maybe it's to... Reconcile some family relationships. Maybe it's to serve God vocation. I don't know, but but you just need to respond to the calling. My question is simply, where are you? (laughs) Are you near the cross? There's an old hymn that kind of speaks of this need. It says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's a precious fountain. Free to all, a healing stream. That flows from Calvary's mountain. Jesus, keep us near the cross. Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I I don't know how more clearly to lay out from a passage the different responses that you may need. So as I walk through those, as God spoke to you, maybe begin to apply whatever that is in your life. As you think about those callings, just know we're here to facilitate that for you. We want to help you. That's what pastors are called to do, to equip saints to do the work of ministry. So maybe... You just say, man, I have a burden to help widows or to help single moms or to to help the homeless or or to help the less fortunate. Uh, I want to foster children. Did you know we've got avenues and on-ramps for every one of these things that we can help you with? We've even got a fostering class that's coming up that you could be a part of so that you could be qualified and able to join several families in our church who are already doing this, changing lives, introducing children to Jesus that have never Even heard the names of Jesus. Is it easy? Nope. The the calling usually isn't. That's why Jesus gives us that riddle. He says, The load is heavy, but it's also light. In other words, He's going to give you the grace to do it. But, But some of you here, this is what you need to focus on. You don't have that relationship with Jesus. And man, I think earlier in my ministry I thought if I said things the right way or changed my tone or, I don't know, dressed like you wanted me to dress, maybe I could help you make that decision. But I can't. God's got to draw you to himself. I can just make sure you know how to do it. So if you're ready to cry out to Jesus today and you've sensed that in your life, maybe you would pray a prayer like this. You can pray these words. They're just not magical. Just make sure you mean it. You could say, Jesus, just you and him, just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner. And just like your mother Mary, I need to be saved. I believe you died so that I could. So here I am near the cross. (laughs) Asking you to save me. To forgive me. From this moment on. I want you to control my life. Now tell him thank you. Tell him thank you. So Lord Jesus we have gathered in your presence. Having worshipped your name. Having read the perfect word of God. Lord, we've sensed you here with us, Holy Spirit. We just ask that you now draw us close as we sing this old hymn, as we think about these words. Help us to live in such a way that it's evident to us and to people around us that we really are near the cross of Christ. Lord, use us today for our good and for your glory. Keep us, Jesus, near the cross.